Hey friends, and welcome back to another episode of Thriving Thoughts. I'm your host, Dr. Sherry, and today we have our second of all time male guest on the show. And today I'm honored to introduce you to my new friend, Coach Keith Howard, but you can affectionately refer to him as Coach Howard. He is an author, a coach, a speaker, and today he's sharing the mic and his time with you to tell you a little bit about how he thrived alone in the face of a $15 million fumble. You heard that right, friends. Without further ado, please lean in and learn from my friend, Coach Howard. Coach Howard, welcome to the show. I'm so honored to have you on today. Dr. Sherry, I wouldn't want to be any other place than right here. Are you oh, maybe, sure about maybe that? a football field, maybe a football field, but okay. Other than okay. that. Right. Yes. Thank you for your honesty. Hey, where are we seeing you from today? The capital of the free world, Washington, D.C. And the capital of the free world is not feeling so free right now, is it? <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I couldn't even go to the grocery store. But today, you know, other than the 21 degrees, it's pretty good. Yeah. Well, it's sunny today, too. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful weather out there today. I was actually, I just went to the dog park and got back. And because, look, let's just be honest. This is what I have to do to do a podcast from my home. I have to first make sure that I attend to all the needs of my two lovely hound dogs, right? So that now they're sleeping soundly and you and I can have a nice little chat. There you go. I don't have any furry friends, so I'm good. (laughs) Okay, good, good, good. Well, I am just super excited to bring you to the listeners and to the viewers now for season four. We're also on YouTube, so that's exciting. Um, This season, as you may know, as you and I talked about a little bit, um, this season is all about thriving alone. And it's about not thriving. You know, I get so miffed, honestly, a little bit about... um, for example, pharmaceutical commercials that use the word thriving and you see see people like, you know, jumping up and down and just life is happy. Basically, life is roses. And that's not what thriving means. Uh, Thriving means that there is pain and in that pain, you use it to grow as a person. And so I know that you have a story, Coach Howard, and I wonder if you'd be so brave to share that story with the listeners about a time that you felt like you were alone and then we'll get to the how you learn to thrive to that through that later you got it absolutely dr sherry so yeah i do have everybody's got a story you've got one i've got one the listeners have their own right everybody's got a story mine is unique in that um you know two worlds collided for me my my professional life where i was running a uh what i would like to call an emerging business so we were approaching the 20 million dollar mark Okay. Um, we had uh, 500 employees. It was a family business. You know, my dad was the chair of our board. I was the CEO. It was great. Everything was great. So did you start that business from the ground up? Yeah, I was employee number one. Wow. Um, so what happened was my dad before me, who was my predecessor, his company was $34 million, um, And he sold his company. And then what we did was just rebid the contracts. It was genius on my dad's part. Total genius. Mm -hmm. And we rebid the contracts and I won them. 
Um, you know, we did amazing work on 9-11 in support of, we were a security guard company. Okay. So you want to talk about right place, right time. Yeah. Guarding uh, federal government buildings in D.C. Yeah. You, you can't get any better than that. No. And so uh, the problem was two years later, we couldn't get paid. And there's where the loneliness came in. Well, loneliness in a lot of ways, because if you can't get paid, I mean, I mean it, there's this entire trickle down effect, but and, and it it affects way more than finances. Um, but I remember, so just as an aside, because I want you to compare this. So when I had my private practice, I actually had like six employees. So that pales in comparison to 500. But I do recall a time that was particularly lean. And I remember having a stack of paychecks on my desk for me that I wasn't paying. I wasn't cashing for myself so that I could pay my team members because there's this huge responsibility of being able to provide for the people who are working alongside of you, but they have people that are relying on them. So again, this trickle down effect. So I can only imagine the loneliness, because I remember feeling alone with just six employees to feel responsible for. So tell us more about that. <laughs> Gladly. Well, I can remember a Thursday night. The paychecks were due Friday at 1 p.m. Okay. I logged in about 8.30 that Thursday night. Now, the banks are all closed, so, you know, whatever your balance is is what it is. <laughs> I was in the negative $883,000. Mm. Now, how does a bank <laughs> permit you <laughs> to be, you know, almost $1 million in the negative? I don't even know. I can't wrap my head around that. Uh, pretty easy. It, it, You know, if you've got government contracts, some banks look at that as cash. Okay. Um, the other way is depending on how, how funded you are from the bank, right? Mm -hmm. So in my case, I had... Pretty good working capital okay. um, for events like this. Yeah. Right? Um, only on this case, though, I had tapped all the way out. Like I was at the mm -hmm. bank's legal lending limit, which was $2 million. Okay. So I could not legally borrow any more money. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the checks went out at one o'clock on Friday, and I knew that uh, not only were those 500 families, you know, in jeopardy of not getting food on the table, but remember, this was a family business. So at that time, I was in my married life. Yeah. And my ex-wife was the director of human resources. So mm -hmm. not only was she not going to get a paycheck, but our kids' school tuition wasn't going to get paid. And mm -hmm. she had to feel all of the grievances from the employees. Yeah. Oh, on top it's of a that. nightmare. Yeah. Right. So I was lonely in the office. And then when I drove home. <laughs> <laughs> you were in the doghouse. <laughs> in the doghouse, big time. Yeah, so, so, I mean, that was tough. Well, tough is a mild word, Coach Howard. I think you're being generous with that. Um, <laughs> I, I would say, I would imagine, I want to I step back because part of the reason that I have this show is to go to the spaces in our minds that we don't really talk about openly because there are people, including me, including you, including the people watching and listening and other people beyond, who have thoughts and feelings when they go through an experience like this. Um, and it doesn't have to be losing, you know, this huge thing that you're going to describe in more detail for us. But 
It could be any loss and any sense of fear, any sense of being alone. So we have these common thoughts and experiences, our feelings, these deep, dark emotions that um, we kind of don't want anybody else to know about. And sometimes if we talk about them, people don't know what to do with them. And so that's why we're bringing them to this show, because we want to talk about them, number one. We want to make a space for that. And number two, we know what to do with them. So if you can take us a little bit deeper into your state of mind and your state of emotion uh, when that was happening, what do you recall being the first emotion or maybe thought to cross your mind at that time? Disappointment. Because I had two things going on. I had in my professional life, I'm losing the company with that basically has the family name on it. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about letting down my dad, mm-hmm. mom, wife, daughters, the disappointment of that. Um, but I also got my dream job of coaching football, high school football. I went back to my high school as uh-huh. a coach. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe this. So wait, this was at the same time or this was simultaneous? Same month. Okay, same got month. it. Yeah, same month, September 2003. And um, I lost every single game. And I can remember the disappointment, not only of the players, but I remember the janitor who mm-hmm. spoke to me every day. I spoke to him. But he could read in the newspaper that this guy, who some would argue has a multi-million dollar company, now has nothing. Yeah. Also can't win one football game. (laughs) And I remember saying hello to him, and he didn't say a word. He looked right at me. Mm. That disappointment. And it got worse, Dr. Sherry, because what happened was, as the company began to just close... Really, the employees, you know, did not slow down. The creditors did not slow down. And, and one of the lowest moments was I can remember having to have my family get under the bed because there are people right outside the door mm. wanting to be paid. I can remember my reputation just because there were rumors, you know, oh, he, he stole the money and oh, this is. Oh, sure, yeah. Everybody's looking for somebody to blame, a scapegoat. Right. My reputation went from pillar of the community mm-hmm. to scumbag. So let me, okay, that's what I wanted to ask you. It's like horrible. <laughs> pillar of the community to scumbag. You know, I was just thinking about that this morning about how, um, how the mighty fall. And um, your story reminds me of this a little bit, but about how, um, and I think you're going to get into this, but when we do feel like we go from pillar of the community to scumbag, I don't think it's just that we feel that way. I think sometimes when people no longer find us useful, or perhaps in those moments we discover who our people are and who they're not, um... And then we can be, in one moment, we can be very elevated and in in the next, just, I mean, in a split second, um, especially now, you can just be canceled, right? So back then, in 2003, you probably felt extraordinarily canceled, you know, just going from this 
pillar to a scumbag. But let me, I want to back up to this disappointment. So when you say disappointment, what I heard in what you were describing was every, you were fearing or you were experiencing, you were interpreting it as other people being disappointed in you. Or when you shared that word disappointment, was that, were you disappointed in yourself? No, it was the first one. I, I was okay. I was not disappointed in myself because, first of all, as an American, we did the right thing. We continued to work until we couldn't work anymore. I was not going to leave those government buildings open, yeah. right? Period, the end. My dad's a war veteran. We weren't doing that. So I was very proud, and I was proud of what the company had accomplished. Okay. But I was so disappointed that I had let just everybody, people counted on me for, you know, jobs. <laughs> like I said, yeah. family business. If I hired one person in a family, he would refer to more. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I started to notice that while I was spending time trying to, all I had to do really was get paid by Homeland Security. If I got paid and made the company whole, we would still be in business today, but I could not get paid. And that's where I was spending all my time. What I didn't realize was my body was breaking down. Mm. I would just shake. I never ate. I I never ate. And then finally, I went into the darkest depression. I would say September, late September, I went into my bedroom. I did not come out until February the 2nd of 2004. Um, You literally, you didn't go anywhere. No. No. Now, this is when the the company, well, that's good. (laughs) <laughs> this That's is it. when the company was was uh, closed, officially closed, gone on, not going under, but gone under. Gone. So how did you, all right, will you invite us into that room with yes. you for those four months that you spent there? Yeah. What are some on... of the fears that you had during that time? Well, let me start on September 18th, which was the last official day. September 18, 2003, uh, the Department of Homeland Security found me legally dead uh, because I had to lock the doors and I had 8,500 square feet of space. There was no one around to help me move furniture, turn in cars. I mean, right. you, you just don't, over six years, you accumulate a lot of assets. Yes, yeah. There's nobody gone. So once I finally got the the office unloaded and I got inside my house, when I would go out, I just, like I said, my body was breaking down. I was really weak, shaking. And so I just felt more safe inside. Okay, sure. And while I was inside, not only did I not come out, but I didn't watch television. I was not on the internet. I watched one television show which was a 30-minute sitcom. Mm -hmm. I watched a soap opera for 30 minutes. I took a shower. I used the bathroom. That's it. From late September, uh, I would say the holidays, I didn't come out. I didn't participate with my kids who were really confused. I mean, they were like middle age, uh, middle school grade. They were really, they just didn't understand what was going on. And um, I did not have the energy, the strength um, to even, I couldn't even help myself. 
But you know what's fascinating to me? That you, how everybody's experience of um, depression is different. I mean, for you to still not make, you know, not have the energy to go out of the house, that's one thing. Not have the energy to go out of the room, that's another. But you took a shower. I mean, you did the very <laughs> basics, right, to keep yourself alive. Share with us, I mean, what you clearly had a couple of paths there because if you stay isolated for too long, those feelings of depression deepen and darken. And so let us in there. What did that happen? Did it get worse for you? Did did you ever have a thought that you weren't coming out of that room again? Absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, for my poor family, um, you got to remember, you know, I'm living a married life. Everything's fine. Two kids. My wife was like, what in the world? Like, because I couldn't, there was no driving me to a therapist or uh, there was none of that. Right. And so I think when she started to see, you know, incredible weight loss and this, she said, we got to, we got to do something extreme here. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I did, uh, find my way to get, uh, I forgot the name of the pill, but it was some sort of anxiety medicine mm-hmm. something to kind of get me to relax a little bit. Yeah. Um, and that, that, that gave a little glimmer of hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it still was so dark uh, coming from who I was. Yeah. It, it was just, uh, now you got to remember, I fast forward. I kind of skipped over the football season. But yeah. All season started in September of 2003, the same time the company closed. Okay. For the next 10 weeks, we lost every football game by 30 points. And there were kids being hospitalized. I mean, it, it was as bad as a football operation could be. So and, did you come out of the house for that? Well, no, no. So, so what I did was I would, because it was my first year of, of coaching. I had to be there for that. Okay. Right? But I, I really couldn't, I couldn't do it. Yeah. So I would, you know, reach out to the assistant coaches because quite honestly, I was ill, you know, yeah, I, I was sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, it, it just was, Oh God. I mean, just going through it right now, I can remember just how, yeah, I did not think I was coming out. There were there were days when I was like, you know what, I don't, and I'm a chicken, right? So it's not like I'm going to be suicidal because I'm a chicken, right? But on the other hand. But maybe passively so. Right. On the other hand, I was like, I, I'll never be able to face the world again. So. So did you experience the feeling, would you, uh, label it a feeling of shame shame guilt mm-hmm. um the shame was that i wasn't strong enough to fight it right again this wasn't like we did anything wrong mm. <laughs> we just couldn't get paid yeah we worked we carried the federal government for two years our our, our payroll was half a million dollars every two weeks and between my dad and i we scrounged up a half a million dollars every right. two weeks. Right. So 
yeah, I didn't, we were an award-winning company, so I, you know, but it was just the shame of, I, I'm Coach Howard. <laughs> right? So it was a blow to your identity. Absolutely. Okay, I'm, let me, whoa. <laughs> yeah, let me ask you this, because one of the um, things that I ask people that I work with, that I ask people sometimes on the show is, you know, if, if everything was stripped from you, what would be left? Because, because that is ultimately what has to be worthy of our energy. Not that other, I mean, other things work, you know, that's all very fulfilling. But what cannot be taken from you such that were you to land yourself in a position like the one that you just described, where everything was stripped from you, what's left? And so that's my question to you. What, what did you discover in that space from September to February what was left and what was that kernel, that nugget that allowed you then to come back out of the room in February? I'd say the first thing was my faith. Um, that never wavered. There was a mm. conversation uh, with God that, you know, just it was moment to moment. I wasn't my prayers weren't for tomorrow. <laughs> my okay. prayers were for when this prayer is over with. Get me through the next five minutes. So that's what I was going to ask you. What were the prayers you were praying? Yeah, so a lot of it was um, I was looking for uh, for guidance, really. That's what I like. What am I supposed to be doing? Because mm -hmm. I know I'm supposed to be doing something. I'm not supposed to just lay here. Yeah. But I don't know what to do. Right. Nor, nor do I have any strength to do it. Yeah. But I knew what it would take to get the strength, I would try, but I, I didn't even know. I just was, my hands were in the air. Yeah. So it was a constant conversation. So the, the faith was number one. And I think there is an inspiration that, uh, and everybody can say this, so I'm not saying anything new, but when you can look at your own children, mm. there was an, there was an inspiration, you know, Kennedy is my oldest. Okay. And Kennedy um, is really like Keith. She's very sensitive mm -hmm. and um, she's just got a bunch of old quirks. She's quirky. She's, yeah. she's just goofy, but we love her. Yeah. And then there's Fallon, who's Coach Howard. Very direct, very matter of fact, just yeah. kind of in your face. And I'm looking at both of them kind of not really knowing what to say to daddy is something wrong with daddy. Mm. And I was like, I gotta figure out a way to get up. Yeah. <laughs> so those, yeah. Were the two, those were the two drivers. Okay. Um, and, and you know, what's, what's funny, Dr. Sherry is that once I got out of the room, immediately something happened. I mean, immediately. February 2nd. Here's what I did. I walked out of the bedroom over to the room that had the computer in it. Uh -huh. I logged into the computer and I, I was looking for my head coach at the University of Pittsburgh, Mike Godfrey, who's my mentor and I love him. Mm -hmm. And I found him. And I found out that he was running a nonprofit for boys without fathers. Okay. And boom! I, I could have cared less about the company or whatever happened or yeah. this or that. 
I was ready to go. Just like that. Just like that. So you had this. So really, so here's what's beautiful about your your story. And then I'm going to take you back to the dark once again. Okay, the good. beautiful, the beautiful part here is that so many times, and I, I call people's attention to this because we believe lies that hold us back in life, not just hold us back, but keep us in a dark alone space like you, like you were in. And we believe that we, for example, if you just use physical fitness, well, I just, I just want to get motivated. You know, I just want to be motivated to go do this. And what I tell people all the time is like, if you're waiting on motivation, you are going to be waiting forever because motivation comes when you do. And so for you, you did, you got up, you got out of the bed, you left the bedroom and you did, you went into the room with the computer and you searched for something. And then that created this momentum, right? That just kind of took on a life of its own. And so that to me is one of the biggest lessons that I hear from your story just from that is that if you want something to be different, you have to, you have to do, you have to take a step. A step. Yep. A step. Yeah. And in my case, you know, the, the, the lie that I was believing was that I was bad. I'm not. Mm. I'm a good guy. Yeah. Right. I'm a good guy. I ran a company. I'm proud of it. Yeah. I, I'm not bad. The other lie that I believed was if I ever come out of this room, it's going to be worse. Oh, yeah. Stayed in the room. Well, that would keep me in the room too. <laughs> so, so it took it took courage, and I, I don't even know how it kind of happened. I think back then we still had dial up uh -huh. <laughs> internet. I and think that you're noise right. It was bothering me, and I was just like, "What is going on?" And I was just like, "I got to see what's going on." And I stepped out. And I was like, "There's nothing going on. It's my house." I yeah. walked across the hall, and there's the computer. There was no, there was no boogeyman out to get me. Yeah. And then I logged in. Boom. But what I think is really cool about that, Coach Howard, is that you said basically you had enough energy to be irritated. I did. Right? Like, mm -hmm. th and that's powerful to me because I want people to hear that. Like, if you're in a place that's um, dark or kind of hopeless or you're believing these lies that you're a bad person or it's going to be worse on the other side and there's nothing good that can come from this like pay attention to those slight feelings if you're irritable or or um angry about something that's good because those feelings are energizing and they're the ones that can propel you to take that a step that you refer to correct yeah you nailed it <laughs> So from there, it was just a snowball effect to doing what you wanted to do. I mean, is this like a well, hero to zero, zero to hero story? What is it? What's your what's your big picture lesson for us? Well, first of all, the, the football team totally turned around. Kids mm -hmm. were going to college. We sent five kids to the same college in one year. Um, we started winning football games. Um, now I'm a pillar in the community in a different way. Okay. That, you know, hey, this guy came from, remember, he's the security guard company guy. Like, yeah. how does he do it? How does he come out? And, and 
spend so much time talking to us about don't quit and this and that. So mm-hmm. that was one thing. And then when I, when I went online and I reached out to my old coach, he said, hey, look, I can't afford to pay you, but I need somebody to run my nonprofit. He was working for ESPN at the time. Mm-hmm. And he said, hey, fly to Texas, fly to Dallas. I didn't even know what I was going for. He said, a camp. I had no idea. And fast forward six years, you know, I grew that thing from, I'd say, a budget of a half a million dollars to three million. Mm. Um, I was able to share a panel with Laura Bush, which is on YouTube still today. Okay. Um, and goodness gracious, I was in the saving souls business. Mm-hmm. So these boys in 15 different cities did not have a dad. Mm. I was it. Yeah. Do you know how rich that is? Tell us. Oh, God. (laughs) And so what would happen is because now, now I'm not the pillar in the community. I am nationally recognized as a nonprofit executive, a leader in mentoring, right? I'm on Capitol Hill two, three times a week. I'm on an airplane every four days Mm. for six years. And so the people I would meet, and that's why I always tell people when they ask me, oh, God, you know, in my book, I call it the $15 million fumble. Okay. The government really only owes us 1.27, but the company was worth 50. Right, right. right. So I always tell people, no, I'm richer now than ever because I met you. Yeah. And, and I said that to you when I met you. Yeah. I yeah. said, I'm richer now than ever because there was a day when I didn't think I'd ever meet anybody ever again. Mm. But now I'm meeting Dr. Sherry on her podcast. I don't know who she knows and so on. It just just explodes. Yeah. So I've got a curious and nosy question for you, but (laughs) I'm not the only one thinking it. So that's the Shoot, I'm transparent. Go back to those four months. um, Where was everybody? Like I'm so here I'm thinking about for the person who's thinking like You want to piss me off right now? <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. Um I'm thinking for the person who may be in this situation and they're like they feel so alone and I I that is a part of my soul that can never be stripped from me is this level of compassion for people and one of the subtleties that I, God has gifted me with is to be able to look at somebody and go, I think they're lonely. Like that's just, that, that to me is like God's gift to me to be able to discern that. And my heart breaks because I think there have to be people who care about this person. So I'm, I'm going back. I know you were living, you know, you were still in your married life. You were with your wife and you were with your kids, but where were your people who like, if one of my people was in your position, I'd be like, oh, heck no. I'd be in the bedroom every day until I could get them to commit to taking that step. Like, so where were the people? No, the people, the people were gone. Um, Mm. The people were gone. And what was so sad was I had to reach out to some of those people. And, you know, I'm a real prideful guy. Mm -hmm. But to have to reach out, especially to my business colleagues. Yeah. My former employees, I get it, right? But my business colleagues, that's where my reputation lied. Mm. 
they knew that if nothing else, I had talents and abilities. I had strengths. Mm -hmm. You think any of them would want to hire me? The, the people didn't even want to share space. Right. I, when I'm talking about regular space, pumping gas. And I would say, like, hey, so, so, so-and-so. What was your scarlet letter? Well, yeah, it's, it's Pigpen from, from the uh, Charlie Brown cartoon. The guy that walks around with the cloud, he's smelly guy. That was me. That's horrible. I cannot imagine. I, w I think I might have stayed in my room, too, for a little while. I, I was surprised because, you know, my relationships with my high school friends, my college friends, former jobs. I mean, quite honestly, they were even family members. You know, mm -hmm. it was a really tough transaction on my dad and I. Yeah. Um, you know, as the chair of our board, he was our investor. Mm -hmm. And so you can imagine, you're talking about millions of dollars that has gone up in flames. Yeah. There were, I can remember one Easter Sunday. It, it, I just felt so bad for my mom. I, I really did. It just wasn't, yeah, it, it, they were gone to answer your question. They, they okay. all were, they were gone. Okay. So I've got a few, a few questions and then we, we're going to get to uh, what do you do now and how can people connect with you and learn more you about you? So first question is about the guilt that you mentioned. Um, and we've talked about, okay, that, yeah, there's a lot of people who feel alone, but the message of this podcast is how you can use those experiences of being alone to thrive, which means to grow, flourish, or prosper, right? So how did you take that feeling of guilt, navigate your way through that, and use that to grow as a person? Well, I, you know, I start back with what I said earlier, which was one of the lies that I believed that I was bad. So I felt guilty, like, oh, God, like, I did this. But that that really, I wasn't guilty anymore because I wasn't, I hadn't done anything bad. There was nothing to right. be guilty for. Right. You know? And was that just a sudden realization that you had? Yeah. Or was that just, something after some processing or prayer and reflection? I, I think, I think just getting away from the transaction, getting mm -hmm. away from the day-to-day -day trying to survive. Mm -hmm. It's going, look, the company's in bankruptcy court. There's nothing for me to do with it, right? Yeah. There's Keith, and then there's the entity of the company. Yeah. Right? So the entity of the company will go through whatever legal proceeding it goes through. But Keith's going to have to move on and live his life. And there's there was really no... Once I realized that, like, I'm not bad. What am I guilty of? Yeah, yeah. Guilty of being an award-winning company who employed right. people all over the community? Mm -hmm. That's nothing to be guilty of. Actually, I'm the opposite. Yeah. I'm very proud of those accomplishments Yeah. Um, and tout them to anyone who wants to listen. Mm -hmm. and, and oh, by the way, the former employees did come around in a okay. major way. Um, once they went to work for other companies, they saw, wow, <laughs> this, yeah. this, this was a great company. So that kind of helped, right, to okay. reinforce that. Mm -hmm. um, I think that, that you weren't bad. <laughs> no. That this was just a thing, that this thing really had nothing to do with you. Right. Yeah. Out of my control. Right. I think the other thing was once I took a step mm -hmm. and I know people when they go through breakups and this and that, they talk about like, you know, gosh, it'll never be the grass is not green on the other side. Da, da, mm -hmm. da. But I can tell you uh, this organization, Team Focus, I'll give them a shout out. 
working with those young men yeah. who didn't grow up with their dad, and I had my dad, mm-hmm. please. Like, I'm like, come on, who am I to keep? And so, like I said, I'm in the saving souls business. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. Yeah. And so that really helped put that guilt and shame away. Mm-hmm. Um, shame was a little harder. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it's, it still was, you know, you still had cars with logos on it. You still yeah. had, you know, awards on a shelf. And you just like, Reminders, constant reminders. Yeah, reminders, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, all right, talking about growth um, and development, did any of your values change as a result of this experience? No, no. So I live by seven core values, okay. discipline, respect, education, achievement, motivation, organization, and networking. It's my signature speech on the speaker circuit. And though it's an acronym for dream on. And that's just kind of the way I am. I was that way long before I started in business. Yeah. It's just, just keep dreaming. Keep just keep dreaming because a lot of them really come true. Yeah. Right. I dreamt about one day having headsets and being on a podcast. Yeah. Came true, right. So so yeah. So no, they didn't. They didn't change. I I, I do think I had to go through some growth around. Um, you know, repairing my relationships. I think that that took some mm. on my part. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I think there was some. That was an opportunity for those that were gone to make me aware of some of the things that I wasn't very good at. Okay. I think I was a little self-centered when I had a lot of money in the bank and I'm Mr. Howard who has got a security company. But when I lost all that, yeah. Humble pie. Humble pie. Yes. I think I still got some in my teeth. (laughs) So now that leads me to my last question for you. How would you say that that it, maybe humility is is the answer to that? But how would you say that experience and your response, your working through that, your interpretation of that experience, what is the ultimate way that it changed you for the better as a person? Oh. Wow. Um, well, first of all, I don't ask myself why it happened anymore. It was okay. supposed to happen. Yeah. It yeah. was absolutely supposed to every step to include a step yeah every one of those steps was already ordered i had to go through that yeah um so i don't have to ask for why anymore that that's a big help um can you can you finish that though for the people watching and listening why did you have to go through that why do you believe that well i just think that it's part of my plan okay right so you know it not not to be so religious but jeremiah 29 11 does talk about the plan for each and every one of us and the plan mm-hmm. for good. Yeah. It doesn't say when the good's going to come. <laughs> right. Or how to get to the good. <laughs> but it it's might for come good. in 40 years after the wilderness traveling, right? It might. It might. But no, I, I, I think that there that was just part of my plan uh, that was ordained by yeah. a power way higher than me. It's what I had to go through. I was. Yeah. Some people are picked for worse than that. Yeah. You know? So that's my call. Right, they are. Right, right. Count it, count it. Um, yeah, my R. transaction, yeah, my transaction really is paper, right? It's, it's yeah. just paper. 
But some people, you know, they get ill, they have accidents, they lose a loved one. I mean, they got way worse things going on than my paper transaction. Yeah. So tell me one more time, what's the name of the nonprofit that you are involved in? So I'm an advisory board member for a group called Team Focus. Um, That's not my day job. Um, My company is uh, Extra Points LLC. And, uh, and I just love extra points because extra points is basically, it's me Mm -hmm. (laughs) me doing the things I like doing. And tell us about that. What is it? So so it's, it's, uh, the first thing we do is we speak all over the country, right? It's me speaking, telling the same story I just told you and many, many others. Um, I'm an author. So I wrote a book. It's it's right over my head. You can I see, see it, there. it up there. Yeah. Very mm-hmm. strategically placed, my friend. There I like we go. That. Extra points. The life of my story. Chapter five talks about the fifteen million dollar fumble. Okay. Um, I'm I'm also a business management consultant. So for those uh, budding entrepreneurs that want to grow a business fast the way I did, let's do it. Let's sit yeah. down and talk about it. Um, then of course I've got a podcast. Um, the extra points radio show. Okay. Uh, so, you know, it's, I think the number one thing that I like is the coaching, right? Yeah. I coach people on the field and off the field. Yeah. And that's what I, I love that. So who is your optimal audience for speaking engagements, for example? You know, I love churches and I love, um, academia. Okay. So schools from middle school to colleges, um, and I also love teams, right? So I like talking to sports teams and, mm-hmm. and that. But churches, I do a mean Jeremiah 29. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I do a mean one. And, All right, that's uh, and, good. Yeah, and then, of course, the, the schools. You know, I, yeah. I love going into high schools and colleges. Okay. And you're going to include, I mean, you're going to give me all the links so that I can Mm -hmm. make sure, point everybody in that direction. And we can also give a a shout out to your um, team focus. Is that Team focus, yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Sorry, the word keeps going out of my head. I'm like, was it team faith? (laughs) Team focus. All right. So uh, you're going to give us a link to that. So we'll include that in the show notes as well for people to be able to be more curious and potentially participate with that endeavor as well. Coach Howard, as we close out today, I ask every one of my guests the same question and you are no exception. However, this season we're talking about thriving alone. So I ask you, Coach Howard, if you could leave the listeners and the viewers with one truth that you want them not to forget when this show ends about thriving alone, what would that be? So Michael Jackson has a song called You Are Not Alone. Mm -hmm. Right. I am here with you. And the I is not Michael Jackson. Mm -hmm. The I is God. Mm -hmm. All that I went through, I never wavered. I never thought that I was without him. Mm. If you can just hold on to that, Mm -hmm. you're winning. It may not feel like you're winning, but you are winning. All right. Church groups, athletic groups, you heard it here first. An amazing, inspiring, humbling journey that my friend Coach Howard had to take, as he describes it. It was part of his plan. Invite Coach Howard to speak to your group now. 
All you need to do is visit cckhowardlive.com, and the link is in the show notes for you. Listen, friends, if you're in a space right now that maybe you are in a room, maybe you are there and you're having trouble coming out, remember what Coach Howard said, you are really not alone, that if you can hold on to that singular truth that God is with you, that is all you need. Friends, don't forget that if you want weekly inspiration from me through text messages and you get the chance to respond to me, all you need to do is text the word THRIVE, T-H-R-I-V-E, to the number 540-369-2139 to sign up. Please do share this episode with a friend. If you are an Apple Podcasts user, would you please do me the honor of rating the show five stars? Yes, that's right. When you rate the show, five stars. It gets in front of more people who need to hear this message. It gets in front of more people who might be in their room right now needing to hear a message like the one Coach Howard delivered today. Until another episode with me, my friends, this Friday, please remember to speak truth over the lies and you will thrive in any